produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahi. Yasmin, you and I have spoken before about our musical backgrounds. Yep. I played clarinet in the marching band in high school, and I loved it. And I also played Barry in the jazz band. And I've played violin and sung in choirs as far back as I can remember. And I think we both understand how music can make a big difference in a life, especially when you're young. So I want to share this story with you that shows just how powerful music can be. Twenty-eight-year-old Jonathan Monday can still remember the smallest details of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo. There was a moment sitting on my father's lap, looking into the sky, a light passing by and telling my dad, I remember this vividly, I told him, I, I thought it was a shooting star, and he told me that it wasn't. Now Jonathan understands that the light was probably a flare or an explosive device. These moments of innocence, haunted by a sense of danger, were present throughout his childhood. Jonathan was born in 1991 into a conflicted region at a turbulent time. The war involves huge numbers of soldiers on all sides, and those who've suffered most are the civilian population. The soldiers came to our village, looted our house, taking money and other belongings, and the soldiers killed people here in our village. Relief agencies estimate... Neighboring Rwanda was locked in a brutal battle that bled into Congo. Instability plagued the nation. Jonathan was a child bearing witness. I saw people dead, and um, what they used to do was um, they would put people on tires, their heads in tires, and light them up on fire. I remember seeing um, somebody that had been burnt in the remains of it. When Jonathan thinks back, he says that he went into a state of shock. He doesn't ever remember crying from the horrors he saw. You have to survive or you're going to die. It's literally a life or death situation. As the violence raged on, Jonathan's family fled Congo. In shifts, the family of 10 kids and their parents moved from Congo to Cameroon and eventually to the United States. In 2002, Jonathan, four of his siblings and his mother found their way to Boston and moved into a homeless shelter in Brookline. For 11-year-old Jonathan, who didn't speak English, school was rough. Not only did I not feel accepted by the white kids there, even some of the black kids made fun of me. Jonathan started getting in trouble. He was diagnosed with learning disabilities, and by high school, he was also diagnosed with PTSD. He remembers feeling unable to connect to the world around him. Then he met Jorge Perez Alvela, a professional drummer from Lima, Peru. I use uh, drums as a tool to uh, give a positive impact in the life of uh, students. Jorge was leading a small after-school program at Jonathan's school. When Jonathan stepped into his classroom for the first time and sat behind a drum, Jorge was floored. We started jamming and it was like click instantly. You know, we were speaking the same musical language right away. 
Jorge wanted to help Jonathan channel all his energy and the trauma he experienced into drumming. One of the things that stood out to me was uh, the interest Jorge took in me. And it wasn't like, this kid needs help. Sure, that's important to realize, but it wasn't like, let me try to fix something here. I was always emphasizing, you know, that this this kid, uh, we cannot give up on him, you know. Even if he gets uh, in trouble, you have to give them chances. Jonathan took those chances seriously. He relaxed and focused more. He says playing with Jorge helped him find his identity. The only place where I could really truly share something that was dear to me like that was with Jorge. Because rhythm is a very big part of my culture. It's interwoven in every facet of life. On Jonathan's most difficult days, he and Jorge would play for hours, barely speaking, talking through drumming. This continued through Jonathan's high school years and into college. Jonathan went on to Lesley University, where he studied psychology and education, focusing on expressive arts therapy. That's how he developed his own holistic method for teaching drums to children. What he has done for me is what I attempted to do for others and continue to do for others. I'm just paying it forward. Now Jonathan works in sales and teaches drums on the side. He says that Jorge's kindness changed his life. As somebody who had just come to America, learning how to speak English and learning how to understand the world Mm. around me, he already saw something deeper and he was like, okay, let's help bring it out of you because you can be more. I, I will be a different person. If, the, if I wouldn't have met him. I am who I am as well because of him. Two brothers brought together by chaos, bound together in rhythm. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Want to hear more from Jonathan and Jorge? We'll be sharing more of their conversation and their music later this week as a bonus episode, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Ammer. So, Andrea, I loved that story. I loved hearing all of the drumming. They're so talented. But I also really like the lesson about how important mentorship is. And, and beyond even mentorship, stewardship. Like actually feeling invested in helping someone other than yourself succeed. Yeah, and I've also heard it called sponsorship. And that's someone who's got your back. They talk you up and support you even when you're not in the room. And I think it's so important to remember that we really can't go it alone. Mm-hmm. We're so obsessed with self-made success. And every day there's tips and tricks and articles and books about how to do it all and have it all and be essentially a superhuman. Yeah, it's those pieces that tell you that you have to like wake up at 4 a.m. to do CrossFit and then like read 20 books a week or something like that. Yeah, basically. (laughs) But this stewardship and sponsorship, it's so vital to success and it can be time or resources or just someone to talk to. Yeah, and to your point, I actually have a story from my hometown or it's near my hometown. It's in High Point, North Carolina, And it was there where I spoke to the president of High Point University. 
So his name is Nito Cobain. He's 70 years old, and he's just the epitome of the American dream. So this man came from Lebanon to the U.S. as a 17-year-old to go to college, starting in Mount Olive College in eastern North Carolina. And you know what? I'll just let him tell you how that turned out. Well, I came out of graduate school at age 23, and I began my first business. I had saved $500, and I began a business, a direct mail business. And in a matter of three or four years, people wanted me to come and speak. So I began speaking in a civic club, in a church, in a local organization. And one thing led to another, and companies discovered me. And and by the time I was 27, 28, I was doing about 200 professional presentations around the country. That catapulted my career. And that career included starting or buying other businesses. Like he bought the chain called the Great Harvest Bread Company, if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of it. And he's now the president of High Point University. I mean, that is quite a career. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But I want to rewind the clock back just a little bit because things weren't always easy for Nito Cobain. He's faced a lot of hardship, starting with his father's death when he was just six years old. And then when he moved to the U.S. as a teenager, he knew little English and had very little money in his pocket. And he worked some part-time jobs to put himself through school. But it was tough. As a 17-year-old, though, when you land in a new country, you're, you know, you're lonely you're, you're going to sleep at night, sometimes crying because you're, you're scared, especially when you don't have any money. You had no place to go on the weekend. Uh, so it was scary. My first Christmas in America, I literally didn't have any place to go. And he was just by himself in the U.S., right? He had no family. He was completely alone. He had no family. And so how did he get through that? So on the one hand, he was extremely driven, but he also found some amazing people along the way who invested in him. So he just mentioned not having anywhere to go for his first Christmas. Actually, he did find some volunteers at a Presbyterian church who opened their doors for international students like himself over the break. And listen to this. Although he did work his way through college, he came up short on his tuition his second year. But an anonymous doctor in a neighboring city covered the tab. Oh my goodness, you know, I can remember vividly thinking to myself, I'd like to know who this doctor is. I'd like to thank him or her for their kindness, for their generosity, for the. So what would you do? I went back to my dorm, knelt by the side of my bed, cried my eyes out, and in that day, I made a commitment to God Almighty. I made a commitment that as soon as I begin to work and save a little money, I will start a little scholarship fund and help somebody else, just like I was helped to go to college. That's so incredible. And he never found out who that donor was? Nope. This person stayed anonymous and never asked for anything in return. But here's probably my favorite story from talking to Nito. It's the story about the house mother who worked at the house where he lived in near Mount Olive College. She was this elderly woman named Verda Lahon, and she knew that Nito was trying to save up for a car. He fell a little bit short, so she slipped a few hundred dollars into his bank account. And he didn't realize it until he went to the bank to withdraw some money. This woman who was making $100 a month to be a house mother, she was making another $100 a month from her social security check. She was not a woman of financial means. I will never forget her words. Speaking of kindness, she said, I have concluded it is much better for me to invest my money in the life of a budding young man than to park it in a savings account somewhere. 
I mean, talk about a lasting legacy. It just sounds like he's never forgotten the people who helped him get to where he's now. Yeah, true. And he actually teaches a first-year seminar about life skills, and he really wants his students to think about that very topic. So in one of the sessions, he gives every student a teddy bear and tells them to send it to someone who's influenced their life. It could be like a past teacher or a grandparent, someone, because he wants them to think about their stewards or the people who helped them get where they are today. It's about finding an excuse to remember the kindness that came your way. And by giving the teddy bear, remind yourself yet one more time that we're placed on this earth to be kind, to be loving, to serve others, and to bring meaning in every circle of influence where we find ourselves. Now, this really makes me think about who I'd send a teddy bear to. I mean, we can definitely start with our wonderful editing team. (laughs) Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design, and Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. If you have a story of kindness you want to tell us, email us at kindworld at wbur.org or find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WBUR Kind World. And leave us a review. That will help other listeners discover us. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.